0: time, and again, it's my own fault. First time I was feeling ill, we delayed. This time we're going a week early, or about half a week early. I will be sitting on the beach next week, which I'm very looking forward to. Father just got us somewhat beach trip, which we'll talk
1: about here in a second, but as always, we're going to start with prayer. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, on this feast of St. Bernardine of Siena, we give glory to the most holy name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for humbling yourself, becoming one of us, being obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, giving us the great power of your name, giving us hope in the midst of this valley of tears, giving us the strength to continue to love you and to love one another. We thank you for the great gift of the church. We ask you to continue to strengthen and confirm her in faith and charity. To help us to learn more and more about this great gift and to strive to serve her well and to bring all people to know you more and more through the great mystery and gift of the church. And we ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, Mother of the Church, as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, women, and blessed blessed is the fruit of thy
0: womb, Jesus. Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God. Pray, pray for, for sinners us sinners now at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. The most Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us.
1: Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Bernardine of Siena, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. So before we get started, I thought you could talk about where you've been the past three days. Okay. We okay. haven't seen you at masses. You didn't do the school mass. You didn't. And it didn't cover Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. I did
1: take Tuesday though, which was unusual um, because we gathered as a school group before we took off on our big uh, middle school class trip to the Outer Banks. So it's lovely, especially as someone who didn't grow up in North Carolina, to get to do a little bit of both uh, national, or I'm sorry, natural and, um, what do you call it, like governmental history Mm -hmm. of North Carolina. So we started off, uh, we went to New Bern first and went to the Tryon Palace, which I'd never been to before. That was a new addition for I've this. I've not been there either. Uh, so that goes back to colonial times when um, we were still under English rule, and uh, Governor Tryon, hence the name, uh, wanted a nice mansion for uh, you know the governor of the colony of North Carolina and uh, built this, they call it the Tryon Palace. And there in New Bern, I highly recommend it if you're there. Hmm. I and mean, it's just... You know, now, to be fair, the original uh, palace, I mean, basically a mansion, you know, uh, the original one did burn down in 1798, but they, uh, since have rebuilt it, uh, there are a few buildings that still stand from the time, um, and a lot of just, like, you know, the the nice historical time period demonstrations. So, we got a a good demonstration of, like, the the cooking quarters, you know, this, the kitchen, how they built all that up, like, Mm -hmm. the the top-of-the-line things in the... uh, the mid seventeen hundreds and uh, like the servants' quarters, all of that, and then we got a nice uh, like a military demonstration of like you know like the type of uh, encampments that would be set up for the different like ranks of soldier, and just like look at this little A-frame tent, and it was so funny. You know, like, you know how many people would be sleeping in here? The kids were like one, two, like six to eight, six to eight. You know, like it just because like they don't sleep this way; they sleep this way. You know, just yeah, and and then. We got a demonstration of the medical procedures of the mm, time. Mm-hmm. Wow!
0: Yeah, that's always a little uh, queasy stomach. Oh my
1: goodness! Look, I mean, the kids were so good. Yeah, our kids were amazing the whole trip. But uh, yeah, and, and you know, it just it got me thinking a lot of a lot of times. Now, granted, there are some things that we have kind of lost with time. Mm-hmm. You know, as you sort of like move away from the land and all that kind of stuff. But wow, when you think about modern medicine um it's like oh bad arm break uh, can't do much about it here's a bone saw and we'll just saw that part off and they stuff gauze in and then this and this and it's like and now you've got a beautiful stump and like they just talked about it in those sort of terms like oh and here's a leech we would just you know put these on you and bleed you and like all this kind of stuff oh mouthwash for the soldiers garlic water <laughs> mm. it's like that'll help but i guess to to kill the bacteria mm-hmm. um yeah, just things like that where, you know, I, I think sometimes we get into the trap like, oh, everything's so terrible. Oh, woe is me. It's like, you know, really? Like, our, our standard of living now is pretty darn good. Uh, but anyway, beyond that, so we went to Moorhead City all day on Wednesday. We were at, uh, down by Harker's Island. We went to Cape Lookout and Shackleford Banks. That was amazing. Kids loved it. Teachers loved it. It was all really good where got to see the lighthouse. Uh, mm-hmm. the sec- there was an original one there, but the second one was completed in 1859. Um, interesting Civil War history there, too, which was pretty fascinating. Um, we got to go crabbing. We got to see mm-hmm. the wild horses, mm-hmm. uh, and we did get pretty close to them. And Just like seeing that whole ecosystem was pretty fascinating, too. And then, um, let's see, got to, and then, like, catching, like, little uh, fiddler crabs and hermit crabs. Yep. They are
0: it was so you cool. mean like the little, like the little sand crabs? Yeah. Those, like those big pills. No, sand. Are they called sand fleas? Okay, we didn't see sand fleas.
1: Okay, we were catching like little crabs, like, oh, you know, little like crab. the fiddler yeah. crabs, and they have like one really big claw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, and it's so and funny because like, you know, like fifty of them would pop out of their holes, and it was like they were telling you to go away. But then when you got close, they all like went back in. Mm-hmm. It was just oh, it was so much fun. Um, we went to we had mass at Saint Egbert's in Moorhead City. Once again, the kids were awesome, and I told them ahead of time, like, hey, what do we say at every school mass? St. John Paul II reminds us, one, two, three, and I said, okay, I will figure out a way to crowbar that in that homily, because I guarantee the parishioners there, they need to hear that message, too. And hearing it from a bunch of 13- and 14-year-olds, it's really strong. Uh, so you just covered, like, the daily mass there. Yeah. Well, they had, they invited their parishioners to come, too. Oh, okay. so it was really nice. nice. And actually, the the lady the mass was for, the Repose of the Soul, her name was Francis Nickel. Um I think one of her daughters and her sister was there. Oh, nice. so that was really nice. So it just you know worked out well. We had a nice dinner, went out for ice cream, and then yesterday we went to the aquarium uh, there near Moorhead City. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place. So it was great. Got a nice uh, demonstration on alligators and crocodiles, mm-hmm. and then you know spent the morning at the um, the aquarium, and then made our way back. And uh, so today, tired, <laughs> but happy. I mean, obviously, I, I enjoyed the trip. Uh, kids were wonderful, chaperones were wonderful, the people at St. Egberts couldn't have been kinder, our bus driver Archie was a kind guy, and just, <laughs> that was the funny thing, the AC on the, facing the head of the bus on the right hand side, I think there was something wrong with like the water system, mm-hmm. and it was like raining on the people on that side of the bus most of, like hmm. not a little bit, like a lot, like when we'd stop it would all like run down and like drop by, down by the door like a waterfall. Hmm. that was interesting like, right. and it was funny because you left off the AC for a while and the kids were like it's better to be wet than be hot <laughs> so fair enough so they were so they were wet and they got cooled down so it oh, is what I'm it sure is. they
0: rotated through and they all uh,
1: made they, they the made figured, the bus. they figured out their way yeah. and um, and I thank God for the providence of sitting on the other side of the bus <laughs> it was one of those I, I would never like be like haha like no I feel bad for them but I was pretty happy I wasn't getting soaked so God bless the kiddos good okay. So and Shane McCormick, our uh, our middle school science teacher, he got pretty soaked too. What a good guy!
0: I've awesome. never heard of getting wet on a bus like that. It was that. pretty crazy. Very interesting. Pretty crazy,
1: but it is what it is. Hey, you know what? Buses. Buses, it is what it. And, and I will say, it's just nice just to sit back and ride too. Mm-hmm. You know, like like looking at the ocean as we're driving by, and and at least I grew up in Illinois, so going to the ocean is a huge treat. And I really want to go further out at the Outer Banks because this is sort of like where it kind of curves back in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not far from the sink spot of Queen Anne's Revenge, which would be kind of fun mm. to go out there, mm-hmm. too. I, kind of, I like Blackbeard history. Yeah. That's always fun. Um, yeah, I'd like to go to, is it Cape Hatteras? Is that one, like, really yep, far out? Yeah, that is pretty far I've out. I've never, never been in that area. I just need to kind of, like, see Kitty Hawk and
0: all that. Yeah, we, my family, well, my in-laws, mm-hmm. they, like, go into Duck, which is up by oh, okay. Kitty Hawk. So you got Kitty Hawk, Duck, Corolla. I think there's one other island up there. But then you're basically into Virginia at that sure, point. Sure, sure. Um, so I've been up there a couple times. But, obviously, I'm partial to Ocean Isle Beach Yeah. as is somewhat father. Um, and that's where I'm headed next week. Good so for you. getting to my parents' place next Tuesday, I'll be there for a week, and very much looking forward to Good
1: it. For you. Very different well, style than where you are of beach. Yeah, because um, yeah, you're much further in. You're not even facing east at that point. Right? No, we're, we're facing facing due south. So you at that start point. to curve back into North Carolina. Yep. Yeah, it was it was great, and I know it's kind of a long, you know, opening banter, but yeah, it was just. I do really love getting to take these kind of trips, and way well, to get to spend time with the kids, because I don't get to be in the classrooms with them much, and just those, you know, those little things uh, that happen in between, just little conversations with them, and um, yeah, it's just it's just really good. And I know, like, I have you know little moments from growing up. It wasn't like a talk that a particular priest gave, but just like small casual interactions, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, I just I love getting to be a parish priest and to get to spend that kind of time with them was just a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: it's nice to know people outside of the normal day to day routine. Yeah. Uh, you know, see how people actually act when they're out of the classroom. Yeah, get those conversations and not having to talk about work, getting to have those common th- experiences that you have. Yeah, I think it's really important to do. It
1: that. is, and especially with our seventh and eighth graders. So yeah, it was it was really nice. It was a good time.
0: Perfect, fantastic.
1: Well, thanks for sharing, Father. Oh my goodness, Appreciate thank you for asking about it. And And uh, and now you know why I sound so tired.
0: (laughs) I just wanted to preface that, and make sure we
1: all knew why he sounded tired. So we're in the midst of it, and I'm just kind of like this. Yeah, no, I'm not going to fall asleep, I don't think. So we talked about last time, which was only
0: two weeks ago at this point. It was
1: last week. It was last week. It was last Wednesday.
0: So it hasn't been too long since our last one. We were talking about the Holy Spirit, and we actually ended the section on the Holy Spirit almost exactly at the end of last time. So we're picking up at paragraph 748 to more or less 800. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're talking about the church. Now, last week, if you watched last week, the Holy Spirit was a little bit more nebulous. We said that we said that phrase a couple times because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is a little bit more nebulous.
1: And to be fair, one of the images for Holy Spirit was cloud, and that's where the the the, the word nebulous comes from. It means cloudy. So exactly.
0: So literally and figuratively mm-hmm. nebulous. Nebulous. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, is quite concrete. Mm-hmm. I think. I know we always say this, but I think this was one of my favorite fifty so far. It's been really because, important. I don't know. I love the Catholic Church and I work for the Catholic Church and you are more or less married to the Catholic Church. So it very much is upfront, apparent in our day to day, something that we interact with. And so getting to read the theology behind it in the catechism is always just refreshing and reassuring Absolutely. that, hey, this
1: is actually an important thing that we're working for. And the nice thing is too, if I'm not mistaken, when we're finished today at more or less 800, we're not done with the section on the church yet. I mean, we're going to keep going for the next section or two because there's a lot to say when it comes to the church. And I know at first blush, it may be kind of like, really? There's going to be more than 50 paragraphs? And there are. It's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And to think like, okay, this is the way that our Lord, you know, determined to hand the faith on to us throughout the centuries. I mean, he promised he would be with us until the end of the age. Um, well, how does that happen? Here we go. Let's talk about the church. Well,
0: first, we might as well do a little bit of the etymology of the word church. So in 751, it talks about how the word church came from uh, Latin ecclesia or Greek. Eccoline. E- I've never taken Greek. Did you
1: take Greek in seminary? I
0: did. At least a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been
1: a while. I don't use it frequently. But I do say Kyrie eleison every
0: year. Exactly. And you probably at least know the pronunciation of words appropriately or more or less.
1: Don't tell Dr. Bradley Potter because he may not be happy with the way I've digressed over the years, but he's probably not
0: gonna I took Latin in high school and that was it. So Latin and Greek, yeah, never really happened. Anyways, means convocation or assembly of people. Calling out of. Calling out of. Or calling together in Mm -hmm. some ways as well. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about people really coming together in assembly, people gathering with one another. Um, and so this church, right, became the term using this liturgical assembly, people of God coming together in a community uh, of believers. Mm-hmm. And then the catechism starts talking about the symbols of the church that we see in scripture, which I think we know a lot of these. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of these within scripture and within the gospels that we get on Sunday. Um, but sheepfold, yeah. I think is we, we hear about that a lot. Actually, we just had Good yeah, Shepherd Sunday, not, weeks ago, not too think, long yeah. ago. Um, the cultivated field, which is kind of one of my favorites. I think that one makes the most sense to me.
1: Oh yeah, um, and like that, and I like yeah, cultivated. And it's almost as though the cultivation is continuing to go on too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you think about the scattering of the seed, which I know you like to talk about a lot. I,
0: I love the the parable. It's wonderful,
1: and and you know, it's like that cultivation is going on within the church, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, beautiful.
0: Because I always feel like the sheepfold very much is Christ as the head, and we is the sheep. It it's harder to say I can be part of the shepherd too. But when it comes to the cultivated field, mm-hmm. true, we are the seeds of the, the church. We're part of that fruit, but we are also called to be the farmer and to throw out the seed. So I feel like that can go both ways where the sheepfold I always struggle with kind of going both ways. Sure. You're a little bit more of the shepherd, so that fits a little bit more with you, you know, in persona Christi.
1: Yeah. And, and you've also got the, uh, the pastoral dimension in your vocation as well. So when you think about
0: it... My flock's just a little smaller. It's
1: a little smaller. That's okay. No less important.
0: And then we have uh, the building, right? The Mm -hmm. stone the bill rejected has become the cornerstone of Christ. We are all part of uh, the building up of the church. We are all members of the church. I feel like, though, it works better with the body of -hmm. Christ, the body of the church, because you've got different parts of the body. You don't get the same analogy with the parts of a building.
1: Like being built up of living stones. You know, I mean, there is that, but I understand because it's... You know, think about the diversity of stones in a building. Yes, there are different sizes, but yeah, you're right. It's like, but that's it's a beautiful thing about the diversity of the imagery that we mm-hmm. get. You know, what, sheep, seeds, stones. Like, like, God is so good in just you know, continually giving us all of this beautiful imagery and everything points back to the same reality.
0: And not to poo-poo the imagery, but
1: I, I have my favorites. Yeah. And I think everyone has of their course. favorites. And Some they relate
0: to certain parables different than others. Yeah, of course.
1: And that's a nice thing about it I mean it's it's going to speak more to some people in, in different ways throughout time it makes mm-hmm. sense
0: and then we kind of get into the foundation mission origin of the church so what I find beautiful and kind of summarized this in seven fifty nine is that the church was the intention of the father from the beginning yeah obviously within the his divine providence in being in the always present now um, the church was the goal ultimately of, of Christ, right? Christ came to redeem us, to save us, but something had to be built and left when Christ ascended into heaven. Obviously he was to send the Holy Spirit as we talked about last week, but even then there needs to be some sort of structure that we see in the foundation of the apostles to carry on this mission that Christ founded in, mm-hmm. his, in his life here on earth. Um, and so, we, but we also see this foreshadowing of the church from very early on, right? At the very beginning. And I underlined part of 760 that I'm just going to read. Do it. Um, this is halfway through 760. The church is the goal of all things, and God permitted such painful upheavals as the angels fall and man sin only as occasions and means for displaying all the power of his arm and the whole measure of the love he wanted to give the world. Just as God's will is creation and is called the world, so his intention is the salvation of men and it is called the church. I really like how they said even within the angels' fall, there was a understanding and a determination to give us his love and salvation through the means of the church.
1: Yeah. I think that's absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating. And like in the power of his arm. Okay what is the most powerful way of getting things done? Is it getting out a hammer and bashing things into place? Or is it playing the long game with patience and letting things play out like a long symphony to get to that crescendo that you know that you're working toward? I mean, you know, the love and the patience of God and the way that he goes about this is just so incredible. And I think, you know, it's a stunning line, that 150, or the citation from St. Epiphanius 154, that the church is the goal of all things. I don't think we think of that that often, you know, that our Lord knew what he was doing in founding the church, and I think that really helps in a lot of ways too, to both help us to love the church more, um, to have more hope, because let's be honest, there's a lot of crazy stuff going out there, on, out there in the world right now. Michael and I had that conversation on Friday a week ago today about the Synod on Synodality, and to be honest, there's some bishops that are saying and doing some really bizarre things. But at the end of the day, it's God's church. And according to this, the catechism of the Catholic Church, the church is the goal of all things. And as we find ourselves as members of that church, as sheep, as seeds, as cultivators, um, as stones, you know, knowing that it is animated by the Holy Spirit, that it is through the church that we are one with Christ, um, it's an amazing thing that should both help us to love the church enough to keep giving our all in the midst of the church, building her up, offering what we have, you know. And I'm not just talking about money, but it's like who you are, the very gifts that God has given you um, to build that up and to know that the Holy Spirit is enlivening the whole church the whole time. You know, like we talk about the kids. St. John Paul II was like, all right. do not be afraid because this is, you know, the goal of all things. God is going to take care of all of this and we get to play a part in it.
0: Yeah, church is the goal of all things. It's fantastic. It's a a fascinating I, I I read that and I'm like, what? Goal of all things? That's in the catechism? Hold on, now I need to comprehend this. And uh, kind of the rest of this is trying to unpack that. Of course. Because there's a lot to be said here.
1: And it's going to keep it going, but it's like, well, I thought getting to heaven was. Well, when you think about this, what does it mean to go to heaven? It's like to be united with Christ. Was doesn't to be united with Christ. Like, we are part of his bride. You know, the church, we become, you know, they become not two, but one flesh. Like, we become one with Christ. We become Christ in divinization. Is that a great mystery? You bet it is. But it's so much better than I think we think. Like Basically, going to church is not just, be a good person, get out there. Like, it's, we are becoming one with Christ. And he left us this... Beautiful, dynamic way of that coming about is the goal of all things. And I mean, we have
0: such a, as we'll get to here in a little bit, we have such a small view of church, right? As you said, I'm going to church. Mm -hmm. Well, church is not just something we go to. Yes, the building that is outside your window right here is our church, the infrastructure of the church.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But if we only view the church as that, We're really doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah,
1: it's not seeing the whole picture. Obviously, that is a local manifestation of the reality of the mystery and sacrament that is the church. Yes. But yeah, but you're right. But it it is a living, breathing, dynamic reality that is incredible.
0: And so I think we just lose some of the importance of the church just Mm with how many things we call church. I'm sure there's other languages that do better at this where they distinguish certain aspects of the church with slightly different words That's but true. in English yeah. it's it's a little tricky. True. Okay, um, so Old Testament talks about here a little bit in, in the Catechism about seeing the preparation of this church within the chosen people. right? Obviously we have the Jews in the Old Testament of the chosen people um, that with the new covenant of Jesus Christ expanded into the universality of the church um, afterwards which We then get to talk about Christ here in 763 and forward. Um, So, as the church is the goal of all things, Christ's coming very much the goal is to found the church. Um, Even up to the point where he chose 12 men, 12 people he took out of the crowd Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and said, Come follow me.
1: He called them out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: to be the kind of foreshadowing the mission that he was going to give them to be his followers and to be those first um, bishops of the church, to be the ones to carry that on. And it always fascinates me that we started with one man, Jesus Christ. We moved up to 12 men. And then now 2,000 years later, we have the Catholic church in the world. The fact that you could start with that small group of people and get to where we are today—that's mind blowing to think about.
1: Of course, and I mean, and it points towards the divine reality that must be present. You know, like, and even when you think about the twelve that he called, it wasn't like, okay, what's the uh, like the band of superheroes called? The, the, The Avengers. The Avengers. You know, it's not like he called together the greatest of them all. You know, and and they all come together at the Hall of Justice and. Go out there and say the world. I mean
0: I, I think you just totally uh mixed mix DC and Marvel. I apologize to everyone out there for Father's lack of knowledge, but uh that's okay. It's okay. We we can mix them together. The superheroes. The superheroes.
1: <laughs> they all come together like okay, the twelve, they weren't superheroes. I mean, whether you're talking about the rock in Peter or you're talking about Judas, I mean they bumble all over themselves, all over the place. And the beautiful thing I love so much about the gospels, and like this is listed a lot of times as like a proof of their authenticity, they don't try to hide that. You know, it's not like later on Peter defines himself as Captain America. I don't know if I just went to the wrong place. No, you're doing great. Keep going. But, but you know, he still like he. So so Saint Mark is basically like you know, um, a traveling companion with Peter. And Dr. Michael Pacholic just did a new translation of the Gospel Mark which he entitled The Memoirs of St. Peter. And St. Mark is probably the harshest one about the bumblings and fallings around of St. Peter. And it's like, so St. Peter could have like not told Mark about this stuff, but he did. He told him because it's not, it's not dependent. The, the, the glory and success of the church is not dependent on us and like, oh, we got to get the perfect pope in there and finally good things will happen. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's led by Jesus Christ. It's guided by the Holy Spirit. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, it helps when the Pope acts and lives like a saint. But nevertheless, like, it's not dependent on that. Like, God knows how to make happen when he needs to make happen.
0: Yeah, as it says in 766, the origin and the growth of the church are symbolized by the blood and water which flowed from the open side of the crucified Jesus. Yeah. So it comes back. To Christ in the foundation within Christ and ultimately His crucifixion, but then Christ didn't leave it alone, right? Then He sent us the Holy Spirit. Um, seven, seven, sixty-seven. When the work which the Father gave the Son to do on earth was accomplished, the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost in order that He might continually sanctify the church, and so it wasn't just done, and okay, you 12 guys, actually 11 at this point, go figure it out. See you later. No, we got something greater almost. I think it says somewhere in here that uh, I don't, I hope I underlined it, um, that with the Spirit of Christ coming, the Holy Spirit, we actually receive something greater than we even had at that point, which we had the Eucharist already at this point. So to say that the Holy Spirit is more essential to the church than even the Eucharist is pretty mind-blowing as well. Well, the
1: two, I mean, it, you can't separate, you can't them, separate out, them. You can't separate them, yeah. Because it's by the Holy Spirit. You, know, you literally use that phrase in the midst of the consecration. Um, but no, I mean, when you think about this, I mean, kind of just going on what you were just saying yeah. Here, And I want to find that section, so I'm going to keep looking. Like when Jesus says to the apostles, you know, and you will do greater works than these. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the things that Jesus did, like driving out demons, curing the man born blind, raising Lazarus from the dead. And still he says, you will do greater things than these. Um, For example, in Acts the Apostles, I think it was the first reading at Mass Saturday two weeks ago, uh, Peter gets called to the house of uh, Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, and raises her from the dead. Now, everything we know about Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, uh, she was wonderful and took care of the needs of the poor and all these good things. And Peter raises her from the dead. Now, obviously, she does die again, like Lazarus did. But when you think about this, okay, so Peter is involved in the work of raising someone from the dead, just like Jesus had done. But I would submit that some of the greater works than these being done Let's just say, okay, we live in an interesting time with the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth going on out there. When someone that is entrenched in the pro-abortion side of things and is wailing and gnashing their teeth, to see someone like that get converted, and it happens, and to be in love with Christ and to cling to him, I would submit that that is one of those greater works than these than the raising of Tabitha or, or Lazarus because... Lazarus and Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, we're pretty darn sure where they're going, right? Like, they've been living a good life. They're, They're on their way to heaven. Like, this is a beautiful sign of the greater reality of, like, you know, life coming through in a physical way. But spiritual life, they're going to be on forever. Someone that is, like, so immersed in the culture of wailing and gnashing of teeth, to save them from that, by the love and reconciliation and just goodness of Christ—that is a greater work. You're overcoming spiritual death, and you know we get to be a part of that. And we don't—we don't fight with the same weapons that that side of things does. Um, we have faith, hope, and love. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Church. Like, Jesus Christ has given us everything we need to do greater works than these. Like when you think about it, anytime Jesus says something that sounds too good to be true, it isn't too good to be true like you just you have to look at the whole reality of it and see the like wow resurrection reconciliation these things actually happen and it's amazing and
0: even the people that were risen from the dead they're still around today no you can't so go see dorcas or lazarus they they died again mm-hmm. so that was something that risen from the dead for a time mm-hmm. but if you can heal someone and convert them spiritually that actually will continue forever. Yeah. The fact that you possibly pulled that soul out of the grips of hell to help them get to heaven, I mean, that's an eternal change that exactly. happened. Exactly,
1: exactly. And that's the thing, I, I know sometimes like, oh, that's not merciful. Yes, it's totally merciful. I mean, you know, I don't get up there and preach, fire, hell, and brimstone. Okay, yeah, but some people are already experiencing fire, hell, and brimstone in the current, you know, situation, the way they're living right now, and to be able to rescue them from that, I mean, just look at the faces of people that are raging against different things, and especially around this abortion debate. I mean, it's like you can just see, I mean, from just a perspective of feeling bad for them. I mean, I remember years back, I saw this, like, like a a photo side-by-side of the March for Life in San Francisco. And it's like, you know, the people who are standing up for the dignity of all human life, they just look happy and peaceful. And the people raging at them from the sides. It's like, do you really want to live like that? Like, I mean, just on an objective standpoint of putting the two side by side. It's just, it's so sad and scary. And you want to just like love them out of that. And Jesus shows us the way to do it and those greater works than those happen, I mean, there are real tears being wiped from real eyes, even as we speak right now, and we get to participate in that awesome mystery. I feel mean, like it was a long tangent. No, I think, I think it I mean, a beautiful it's a- tangent,
0: and I can't find the, the quote that I was looking for. I'll find it eventually. You will. Probably, We're going to come across it. after the fact. You'll um, And I think that ties very well into 769 before we keep moving forward here. The church will receive its perfection only in the glory of heaven at the time of Christ's glorious return will receive perfection, the church. So perfection is the end goal and we will receive it, but how much can we already be living that out in some ways and enjoying that within the church? And I think, you know, as you were talking about with the March for Life, I mean, that is very much the church yeah. um, standing up for um, the smallest among us, the unborn. And the striving for that joy in that perfection that God promises us when we are united to the church. Um, it's, it's a great gift.
1: Oh, it's incredible. And we had, like you said, we get to participate in, in it even now. And the thing I think we have to be cautious of is don't equate participating in that perfection with circumstances around you being calm and easy. Because, yeah, in, as Jesus said, John sixteen thirty three. in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Like, he's going to win. It's going to be fine. And if you stay close to him, no matter what the circumstances are, I know I love to go to this for the example, but it's so good. Say Maximilian Kolbe, like, in the midst of hell on earth in Auschwitz, you know, a Nazi concentration camp, he can be singing hymns to God with great and lasting joy in the midst of a starvation bunker, because he knows Christ is present, because the church is there, is real. He can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. And so no matter what the Nazis throw at you, I know they're the easy big bad guy, but let's just use that. You know, It's like no matter what that regime throws, St. Maximilian Kolbe can ex- start to experience that perfection even here and now and give others the hope to do it. Saints build up other saints. I mean, the people around him, like the man he laid his life down for, if I'm not mistaken, was present at Maximilian Kolbe's uh, canonization. For sure. And, I mean, think about the impact it must have had on him, you know, and the good that that did and, you know, and him being able to go home and be with his family, how much he must have appreciated his family, like all the good things. No matter what the circumstances are around us, we can participate in that perfection. It's not easy. And I know sometimes we can be overwhelmed, like, oh, yeah, thanks, Pollyanna. No, it's not that. It's 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 not optimism. It's hope and knowing that Jesus has given us what we need to live, like to get to experience some of that perfection now and to work towards its fulfillment at the end of time.
0: Fantastic. So as we move on, we start seeing that the church is both a visible and spiritual reality, which I feel like we've been kind of touching on this whole time, right? I think so too. Um, Is that, you know, we've got the physical reality around us that we see, the people sitting next to you in the pews, but we also have the spiritual reality of hoping for heaven and that perfection and Holy Spirit moving and all, all those aspects of it. Um, and then this the next heading, the church mystery of man's union with God. So that's obviously what this is all about, right? It is in the church that Christ fulfills and reveals his own mystery as the purpose of God's plan to unite all things in him. So this is, uh, again, this was the goal, right? The mm-hmm. purpose of all things. The, this is the means by which we are to unite ourselves to God through the church. And that, that's fascinating to think that, you know, especially in our world today, you know, I love Jesus and hate religion is quite a common mantra today. But actually, Jesus came and said, if you love me and to be united to me and our Heavenly Father, this is the way in which you are supposed to do this through the church. So you can't, you can't separate them. And yeah, the church is easy to pick on because there's bad people in the church and bad things happen within the church and wars have been started because of the church and religion. But that's that wasn't the intention of Jesus, right? Yeah. He never intended wars to happen because of the church. He intended for us to be united to God and to be saved
1: mm-hmm. because of the church. The one thing I would say with that, I mean, you're right, but, I mean, he does say at one point, just to be fair and push back, you know, I didn't come to bring peace but the sword. Yeah. And why does he say that? Because you can't compromise with sin, you know. In the end, that will be washed away. And so we do have to be purified. I mean, you can't be you know, a greedy, selfish jerk and then be united with Christ and with the whole church. And so it's like that, he does come to wipe that away. It's like being at war with sin and and cutting that out. But, you know, yes, there there have been people who have misused especially the visible, you know, means of the church for their own selfish ends. And as I've said before, it's like I in the grand scheme of things, I would be I would rather be the person who gets cheated or treated badly by some who represent the church than to be the person who stands it, you know, who who <laughs> holds some office in the hierarchy of the church and does bad things to people, um, which would you rather be at the end of time going before our Lord, you know? And so that's why we have to pray for the Holy Father, right? Regardless of who he is. Like, I'm not, not, it's not in any way like a veiled knock on Pope Francis. It's not. Um, I forget who the saint was. It's like, you know, if, if you say... Like, if anybody who's ever thought about being the Holy Father and doesn't, like, wake up with, like, a cold sweat and fear, like, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, it's like, to think about the fact, like, you are the one entrusted with strengthening the brethren. And, like, think about, like, every Mass in the entire world, they are praying for you all the time. Like, what are you doing, you know, with the great, um, you know, responsibility you've been given and the gifts, the characteristics, the graces, you know, to go before our Lord and say... Here it is. And of course, you know, our Lord knows all the circumstances, He knows everything you bring to the table. But you know, pray for all of those in any kind of a position in leading and guiding the church because they are fallen, just like the apostles were fallen. As long as they lean on Christ, they'll be fine. You know, it's like at the at the end of the day, if they are in love with Jesus Christ and they're spending time with him in prayer every single day, they have nothing to fear. But if they let in the idols of greed, lust, you know, avarice, uh, wrath, all these different things, there's going to be problems, you know, and and they'll have more to answer for than those who are given, we'll say fewer talents, you know, to pull in a different analogy. So pray, especially for those that, you know, (laughs) the things have come out that we know about bad stuff. I mean, yeah, to think about going before the good shepherd, you know, and, and okay, you would go to a sheep and a lot has been ex- expected of them and we got to pray for them.
0: And that's why, as the last line, seven paragraph 773 says, this is why Mary in dimension of the church precedes the Petrine. Yeah. Ultimately, Mary is the one that we need to be entrusting the church to, and she will be the one helping and guiding the Holy
1: Father. You know what? Can we just read all of 773? Uh, please Cause, do. Cause it is please beautiful. do. In the church, this communion of men with God, in the love that never ends, that's so beautiful, is the purpose which governs everything in her that is a sacramental means tied to this passing world. The church's structure is totally ordered to the holiness of Christ's members, and holiness is measured according to the great mystery in which the bride responds with the gift of love to the gift of the bridegroom. Mary goes before us all in the holiness that is the church's mystery as the bride without spot or wrinkle. This is why the Marian dimension of the church precedes the Petrine. So, it's like, Mary is the fulfillment of what it means to be without spot or wrinkle, to be totally in love, who can say without any reservation, any selfish aspect, be it done unto me according to thy word. Like, all of us who are fallen, like, you know, there's still a touch of, like, holding on to something where she's like, I'm here, I'm totally in on this. Where we, you know, in our fallen nature, and God knows this, he knows the whole thing, but, like, you know, we hold back a little bit. She gives it all. The Petrine ministry, it's like, okay, the organizational, hierarchical aspect, you do have to have that. Jesus set it up that way. He had his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Um, And then you have the other 12. You know, it's like, our Lord even used a hierarchical structure, but it's not getting to the head of the hierarchy that's the important thing. It's to be holy. I mean that line um, about the church's structure is totally ordered to the holiness of Christ's members like that is what this is about is for you to become holy and that's just so great. it makes every living stone you know of absolute importance in you becoming holy yeah and it's the structure so this whole thing, you know sticking it to the man
0: and the higher no actually that is was created and built for our Holiness. Yeah. And it's just weird to think of, especially living in the, you know, the democracy that we live mm. in and the, you know, checks and balances and everything that we contend with in politics. We don't look at that hierarchy and go, oh, that was built for our holiness, right? Yeah. That was built for I mean, a democracy, for to have a great place to live. But there's something so much better if we could say, and we do say with the church. This structure is here so that you make it to heaven. Yeah.
1: And, and, and even because you have really called me out on this and I appreciate it, so you may be a disciple of Christ here and now. Start to participate in that perfection here and now that one day you may be a saint. Because that, that step of it is so important, becoming a disciple right now, and that involves your growing in holiness. And then the real means of which that we do this
0: within the church is the sacraments. Yeah. Right? The seven sacraments that Christ gave us. Those are the seven ways in which Christ said, Church, to make people holy, do this. Mm-hmm. And there's 77 sacraments. And so the sacraments in the church are necessarily tied together. Um, and that's why the sacraments are so important. And that's why priests and bishops are so important, because it is the, it's the structure. Mm -hmm. which Father is part of, that allows Father and gives him the graces and the sacrament of ordination to perform the other sacraments so that we may be purified and become holy through the means of the sacraments. So it's all this intricate tying together of all these different things that make up the church into this beautiful whole that really is meant to lead us to heaven. Yeah. Absolutely well put thank you I appreciate that um, So moving along then we start to see a little bit more of how the church what the church really is in a, in a more spiritual sense right the next this next section is very much a spiritual sense um, and it, it starts talking about what is the church right the characteristics of the church um, So we get you know the members as being part of the church the people of God. people of God. We get the, um, the law of the church that you know every hierarchy and organization has to have laws. The mission of the church. There's all these different parts and all these different goals of the church. But then I really like where we get into 783. It starts talking about who we are as the people of God in the church and what role we, in some ways, have to play within the church. And that is within Christ's threefold mission of priest, prophet, and king. And there's a different way of saying that, not threefold mission, but I'm freaking- The three munera? Three munera? I, think so. I don't think I've heard that phrase before.
1: Three Actually, tr- I think I'm wrong. I think it's the three munera of the priest's office, but that's okay. That's, that's something fine. else. We'll sorry. just say the threefold
0: mission of Christ, right? Let's do that. Priest, prophet, and king. So <laughs> through our baptism, right? I think we've talked about this earlier in the catechism, in conference. We have, and we've and also
1: done a homily series
0: we did. Mm-hmm. We did do all the but I don't remember when that was. It would be nice to be able to take that out and post it. Was it was
1: Advent, I think, the year before COVID. I think. I think it was. Before. And so I think we, we, were, we were recording then. We did, we, yeah. And the reason I say that is because it was three, and because there was one Sunday I had to be gone because I was up in Ann Arbor for. A mm. So I'm pretty sure it was that
0: that. Gotcha. Time. Well, I'll key. find it and try to link it again. Cool. But basically, you know, living out through our baptism, Christ's priestly prophetic, and royal mission. Um, And I really like what it had to say about the royal mission. And I want to focus on this one because I really like what the Catechism said here. Read away. Um, Finally, the people of God shares in the royal office of Christ. He exercises his kingship by drawing all men to himself through his death and resurrection. Christ, King and Lord of the universe, made himself the servant of all, for he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the Christian, to reign is to serve him, particularly when serving the poor and the suffering, in whom the church recognizes the image of her poor and suffering founder. The people of God fulfills its royal dignity by a life in keeping with its vocation to serve with Christ. So, we are, through our service of the poor, we are living out our royal heritage with Christ. And that obviously is very counterintuitive. I mean, in some ways, Christ's whole life was counterintuitive. But by serving, we are participating in Christ's royal mission. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, it's a beautiful thought, but it's also a good reminder because again, in our today's world, we don't think of royalty in that way. Right? We think of the pomp and circumstance, the you know the robes, the crowns, the banquets, the mansions and castles, mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't what Christ gave us in His royalty. He gave us service, and so the more we serve, the more we are royal with Christ. Which
1: you know, a perfect example, you know, of a modern day person who exemplified that so fully is Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, it's like her being with the poorest of the poor. Um, and just the, you know, the way that she, like, captures the heart of the world in doing so. Um, and just is an exemplification of that, you know, she died 17 years ago, and three of our uh, young people at Confirmation this year chose her as their patron saint. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing when you think about this, you know, just in God's good providence that the world came to know her. I think uh, it was Malcolm Muggeridge did a documentary on her, and that kind of like really started to like propel her to the like the world stage. Um, you know, and just the people saw in her, you know, the light of Christ. And, and almost like a, she almost became like a royal figure, but it's not as though she lived in a palace. I mean, she continued to live with the poorest of the poor and called out kings and queens. I mean, she called out, uh, President Hillary Clinton on you know on abortion like she's accepting you know an award it's like I don't think you all understand this like the greatest poverty in the world is to decide that a child has to die so you can live the way that you want to live it's like that's poverty and you know just for her to exemplify that it's like that's the the royalty and she just gave everything away and 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 and, you know emboldened and, and made the world more rich and there are. Hundreds of those sisters all over the world. I'm sure there's even more than hundreds, but that continue on that mission in a beautiful royal way. And it's like, you know, and, and and we get glimpses of this in our own life. It's like, you know, when you deny yourself, uh, when you strive to serve others and embrace your cross in that way, life is better. I mean, that's we were created to be holy, and the church is here to help us to do that.
0: Perfect. And so within that, right, we are within the church, as we've been talking about this whole time, we are united with Christ in this, right? We're united in Christ's mission, priest, prophet, and king. But in a more real and even and spiritual sense, the church, the universal church, right, is united to Christ. The church literally becomes part of Christ. So the more we are united with Christ, the more, in the more we're united in the church, the more we unite ourselves with Christ. And there are three main ways that the catechism talks about that we are uni- the church is united with Christ, um, excuse me, Two. Uh, Christ is the head of the body and Christ as the bride of Christ, church as the bride of Christ. And what was interesting as I was reading this is I had this kind of reaction of, wait a second. If Christ is the head of the body, but He's also the church is also His bride, what what does that even mean for Him to be part of the body of His bride? But then, then, in divine providence, it, it the catechism answered my question it, almost it, immediately it, yeah. and talked about what what we believe with the sacrament of marriage. Right, mm-hmm. man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So, how amazing this is that Christ is the head of the body of the church, but is also the bridegroom of his bride, the church, in uniting themselves together in this marriage. Mm-hmm. And we, who are married, are paralleling this union of Christ and his church. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's, like being it's like hard a, to understand.
1: Like a living icon yeah. of what is to happen. I notice that it is life-giving. It is unitive. It is like all of these awesome things, and it's it's just such a, such a, a beautiful like you know at the heart of everything. And so you can see why the devil wants to go after the family, wants to corrupt you know the beauty and the gift that is sexuality. You know, like all these different things, because it's like okay, you don't over-sexualize things, but I mean there there is a beauty in the icon of you know bridegroom and bride coming together new life coming from that just like how incredible that is um we talk about like spotless bride and all the the beauty of christ coming together and becoming one flesh and understanding the fullness of that well it is still a mystery (laughs) so it's incredible and i will say so there are a lot of beautiful quotes in 795 and i think my favorite is the last one um and it's a quote from saint joan of arc which also one of our kids took saint joan of arc for Mm -hmm. confirmation um, it says this, a reply of St. Joan of Arc to her judges sums up the faith of the holy doctors and the good sense of the believer. And this is what she said. About Jesus Christ and the church, I simply know they are just one thing and we shouldn't complicate the matter. Wow, that's so great. And you know, so here we are and we get to participate in this great gift and mystery um, that we've been given.
0: Yeah, and so participating in the church, we're not only part of the body of Christ but we are also his part of his, his bride. bride. And the relationship, the beauty of that relationship of us being within the church, I mean, how could you not want to be part of the church of Christ? How could you not want to be part of his body with Christ as the head leading us through with his spirit? How could you not want to be part of his bride in that union that, I can only imagine what that'll be like when we enter heaven and we are perfected within what is the church.
1: When he wipes away every tear from our eyes. Why
0: you know? would you want to be anywhere else?
1: I mean, that, nothing else. I can think that, that, that summed it up right there. Nothing else has that kind of a promise. And don't get me wrong; like you know, the devil's been out a long time. He knows how to tempt us away from how good things can be. But this is the glory of this too. He provides us with reconciliation, with the ability to go to confession, have our sins forgiven, and be totally reunited with the church. I mean, it's just, he set up everything to make this so good and possible for all of us.
0: And finally, as we've kind of been talking about a lot here, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is part of this whole equation, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, And there's this really nice uh, quote here, and let me see where it's from, Pius XII. Um, that I'd like to read. So it's I'm taking a chunk out of 797. Uh, To the Spirit of Christ, as an invisible principle, is to be ascribed the fact that all the parts of the body are joined one with the other and with their exalted head, as we were just talking about. For the whole Spirit of Christ is in the head, the whole Spirit is in the body, and the whole Spirit is in each of the members. So the Holy Spirit is... And maybe this is too quaint of an analogy, but it's almost like the glue that's keeping everything together and keeping the everything flowing between the head and the body and the members and making sure that they're all kind of attached together and being one one spiritual unit and
1: I, and now it's it's even better than than glue because it's almost like either blood or. You know, like the soul and the body, or the spirit, the spirit. You know, it's like one of those things I've heard. It's you know, it's like the soul. It's not that the body contains the soul; it's that the soul contains the body. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's why it's like when we die, the body starts to decompose like immediately. Um, so it's like once the soul departs, it's like the soul animates everything. You know, and and you know, I, I'm all connected. But like, let's say my pinky gets chopped off. Well, it's gonna break off and decompose or at the moment like the whole body enjoy your soul yeah exactly. <laughs> we'll tie that back around it's like a Seinfeld episode yep but um, but you know it's just the soul and like all the members are there it's all animated by the same soul you know and, and just how beautiful that is and, and the fact that our Lord is working that towards perfection and the mystery of like we still have a part to play in this with you know and he, he respects us and loves us so we have our own free will as we participate in the way that we enter into this mystery as i said before about you know god's plan from the beginning it's just so amazing in the way that he's just like worked it all out and here we are getting to be a part of it and when you stop and step back and look at it like this wow we're just we're just so blessed
0: so ultimately be part of the church and if you're sitting out there and you're not part of the church or you've fallen away from the church or you've been away from the church for a while Hey, we're Come here. Come on back. Come it's on back. the
1: best. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, as Michael said before, it's not a guilt trip. It's not putting anybody down. It's not being condescending. It's like, why would you want to be a part of anything else? Like, this This is, and, and and it animates everything, and it makes everything better, and it's just all so good.
0: And if you're feeling down about where the church is as a whole, and, you know, as we talked about the Synod on Synodality, if you're, you know, popes, Pope and bishops and priests and crap that's going on even within the church nowadays, hey, yeah. read this, these paragraphs again. Look at this and remember why the church is here and the beauty and the mystery of the church. And yes, there are bad people. There will always be bad people. There have always been bad people since Adam and Eve at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the point. It's not like you go to school and you see bad teachers and bad administrators in a school and go, well, the whole thing worthless and education
1: wasted. Education is worthless. No,
0: education of course is amazing and important and yet they're not doing a very good job at leading in the education but the church is even more important than education. It's about our spiritual well-being and holiness and perfection
1: and yeah, because there's bad people doesn't mean the whole system is pointless. There are people, Yeah, people who misuse the gifts that are there and present and yeah, our, our, our you know, the whole goal is for us to become holy. Is that a work? You know, is that something that keeps going? Yeah, all the time. Like we got to keep climbing the ladder, climbing the mountain. But um, just because not everybody's at the top yet doesn't mean that the whole enterprise is not worth embracing and loving and being excited about.
0: And in the last two minutes, or however many minutes we have, we need to talk about charisms because I, I yeah. love. There's like these three little paragraphs about charisms that I just really love. So. I'm a big fan of Sherry Waddell, as we've talked about before. Uh, <laughs> Forming Intentional Disciples is one of my favorite books that has ever been written. I think it is just so practical and helpful with in understanding the church and what our mission is as the sowers of the field within within the the church. But she really got her start with uh, the St. Catherine of Siena Institute, and this whole institute that she and a Dominican priest, who I'm forgetting his name. He probably he's gets this all either. the time. Everyone knows Sherry. And then he's, he's probably was, I mean, hugely influential But in the like, he's program. I he's like a super
1: humble guy, he, you know?
0: Exactly. So. But a Dominican priest, whoever you are, thank you. Um, but the whole institute was set up to help people learn about their charisms, right? So what are these charisms? As it says in paragraph 799, Whether extraordinary or simple and humble, charisms are graces of the Holy Spirit, which directly or indirectly, benefit the church, ordered as they are to her building up to the good of men and to the needs of the world. I'm going to read a little bit of 800 as well. Please do. Charisms are to be accepted with gratitude by the person who receives them and by all members of the church as well. They are wonderfully rich grace for the apostolic vitality and for the holiness of the entire body of Christ, provided they really are genuine gifts of the Spirit and are used in full conformity with authentic promptings of the same spirit, that is, in keeping with charity, the true measures of the charisms. So what does that all mean? Well, think back to the apostolic age, the apostolic vitality, as Father is talking about, right? Healing of the sick, raising of the dead, all these miraculous things that these apostles did. And yeah, those are the big ones, the physical ones, but they were, there's also a lot of you know, spiritual charisms as St. Catherine Santa Institute talks about, right, Uh, musical talents or writing talents, administrative talents, uh, evangelization. All of these are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us that allows us to almost have supernatural abilities. And we've seen this, right? You see somebody who has a certain gift or knack to, let's just say, evangelize, right? Mm -hmm. And you say, how do you do that? I could never do that. I don't... How are you so good at evangelizing? And what do these people normally say? I don't know how I can do this so well. It's it's just a gift. And that's what these charisms are. These are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us for the good of the church, for the uplifting of the church, to be used for the glory of God, that ultimately the Holy Spirit is outpouring in all of us, um, that we all have, and that we should all be utilizing. So the St. Catherine of Siena Institute was set up to help people discern their charisms, to figure out how do I best live out my life in the church, and what role do I have to play within this mystical body to build up others within the church, and understanding that, and understanding what these gifts you're receiving, and St. Catherine of Siena Institute would say, everyone has at least one, Mm -hmm. most of the time two, and sometimes even three, special gifts that the Holy Spirit is giving. And what a shame it is if we aren't understanding what these are and using them to the best of our abilities, these gifts. So I love learning about the charisms and this is something that's not talked about a lot in the church, not really known in the church, but it got at least three paragraphs in the
1: catechism. So it's there. You know, sometimes, yeah, there's, there's little sections in the catechism they are only like three paragraphs but they're, they pack a punch and they're really important. Um, Sorry, I got on my soapbox, and I'll get off. You know, we—I think we each go on our tangents sometimes. Mm-hmm. But no, it's a good one to get on. And that wasn't I think, a tangent; it was right there, Father. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, you talked about the uh, the Catherine of Siena.
0: All right, it, uh, that, is, that is a little bit of a it's tangent. a little
1: tangential. It's all great. I love it. You know, it's, but yeah, talking about you know the temple built with living stones. Like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, all of us are a little bit different. Like the gifts that God has given to all of us are all a little bit different, and you need that. I mean, if everybody was like me, or if everybody was like Michael, you know, it would be a pretty boring place because, like, everybody's the same, but God, in his infinite wisdom, gives us diversity of gifts. And, yeah, and obviously, there's going to be some similarities. Like, a couple of people may have, you know, gifts of administration, but even the way that that's lived out is going to look a little bit different, you know, from person to person. You may have two amazing administrators, and they may have very different ways of approaching different things, but still, when that's done, animated by charity, not... You know to be served, but to serve. You know to imitate Christ, to grow in holiness, um, to use those gifts not for your own selfish gain, but to build up the body of Christ. And once again, it's like when you when you give of the gifts, um, you know they last. They last forever. When it's merely for my own sake, those are the ones that usually tend to crumble and fall with time.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: charisms. Love them. Love talking about them. Love learning about we them. We may have to just and, do like a whole show on that at
0: some point. I well, actually, like this is tangential. Uh, so St. Catherine Stan Institute is doing their called and gifted program, which is, you know, teaching about the charisms. And part of that is them helping you discern, as it even talked about, right? Discerning if these are actually gifts of the spirit. Um, they're coming, I think, in November to St. Thomas More in Chapel Hill. Oh. And I've already emailed them and said, put me on your list because I'm coming um, I really want to find a, a priest to cover on a Saturday night so you could come, because I think that would be great.
1: Maybe I'll work that out. I
0: know my wife is planning on coming with us. We could just have a really fun continuing education evening or day, and I'm really looking forward to it, because I've been thinking about taking this class forever, but they're based out of Colorado, so you can imagine most of the things they do are in the you know Rocky Mountain region. So the fact that there's one coming to our state and even not that far away. I yeah. mean, Chapel Hill is only an hour and a half. Um, pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That'll be great. Well, hey, we may have to set something up and get a lot of people in there. It
0: would It would be really cool. That would be
1: cool. Awesome. Thanks. All right, and we'll end it there. Man, look at that. We only went five minutes over. It today. And that was all me. You were great. It was all good. Well, hey, how about we close with a prayer? Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever
0: shall be, world without end. Amen.
1: The sacred heart of Jesus.
0: Have mercy on us. Mary,
1: Mother of the Church. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.